spirit fingers <laughs> spirit fingers spirit fingers because i'm gonna talk about the gilded age today Ooh. yeah and i'm going back in time further than that so oh exciting mm-hmm mm-hmm covering a covering a a wide array of timelines here <laughs> that's what we're all about that's our new tagline you know, hey, it, it's fitting that I've come up with both of them so far. So I feel like you're slacking. I'm not clever. That's that's really. <laughs> I'm just good at BSing stuff. That's all it is. No, I, I'm totally not. If somebody asks me a question in a meeting, I freeze up and then people probably think I have died of a heart attack because I just <laughs> I'm like, uh, just use my line because I do that. Um, We have a a Friday call, like with, um, my senior leadership team and stuff. And for the first like year, every single Friday call, I would say something and go, Oh my God, I'm sorry. My brain just isn't working today. (laughs) Just because I had word vomit and nothing ever came out right. So yeah, I just don't say anything at all. So I'm the opposite. Yeah. My brain doesn't work, but I can't even communicate that it's not working. That's the that's the issue there. <laughs> Last uh, this past Friday, I used. Um, I hope that made sense. In my head, it made sense. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's what it's like to work for like work with me. So uh, <laughs> so you have to look forward to. You never know what's going on, but you sure have fun while you don't know what's going on. Hey, that's our next tagline. Yeah. Look at you. You just came up with one. I did. Welcome to Hysterical History, where we sit down, talk about our favorite stories, and of course, laugh. Your hosts are Whitley Tressler and Emily Gummery. All right, let's get this show started. So I am obviously obsessed with the gilded age who isn't um specifically the vanderbilt tell us what yeah i was gonna say can you tell us what the gilded age is because i feel like a lot of people may not know yeah so well actually the second paragraph i have in here is about the gilded age well let me just look up because to me the gilded age when i think about it it's just like all these wealthy people in New York, like they're very influential, very wealthy, but there's also this mix of old money and new money that's happening because people are now able to move up in society on the rungs of the ladders. So that's what the Gilded Age is to me, but I'm sure there's a better definition. Yeah, I guess I just think of it like kind of the same as new money meets old money. And I think about like, the Carnegie's, the Vanderbilt's, the Rockefellers, the like, tycoons. Yes, yes, your your um industry makers. So and I guess the time period is important too. It's like the late eighteen hundreds. Um, that mm-hmm. very like last thirty years of the eighteen hundreds is the Gilded Age. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Is that it's definitely those tycoons. We're in the industrial revolution here. Like everything's changing so rapidly. Technologies are developing. People are able to move in society where they were never able to move before. Right. 
Look at us. Maybe we don't need an official definition. I don't even if, yeah. know if there is one, but. Well, and I don't know if you're talking about it, but um, if you have HBO Max, they're going to be releasing a show called The Gilded Age. And we are both, we're both texting about it and we're excited to watch. Yes, it, it's so good. And I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> Whitley um, immediately, like as soon as they released it, immediately sent me a trailer. No context, <laughs> just the trailer. That's all you needed to know. You just knew I was going to watch it. So it's fine. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to watch it. So <laughs> I'm excited for it. So the thing I am going to talk about is the Vanderbilts and the Astor family in New York. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, and so I read a whole book on Alba Vanderbilt, who is one of the protagonists here in the story. She is new money. She marries into the Vanderbilt family, um, but she's from a traditional older money family. But at the time, her family is starting to run low on their funds. So she marries into the Vanderbilts. It's very advantageous for her. But the interesting thing is, is that she is an old money individual moving into a new money family. So mm -hmm. it's a very interesting problem for her because now she's in the middle of these two groups that don't associate with each other. Right. Because the old money thinks they're too good for the new money. Exactly. And the new money is like, we have the money. Why can't you just like befriend us? Exactly. And that's kind of this story I'm going to tell here today is about, which I actually didn't know this despite all the stuff I've read on the Vanderbilts about mm -hmm. this dispute over opera houses, which is actually pretty huge between like owning them. Well, the seats in them. Oh, which audience? I know that doesn't sound exciting, but <laughs> the way that it happens that Alva Vanderbilt cements the Vanderbilts into this old society and kind of bridges the two together. It's kind of wild how she does it. Well, and that's and the whole premise of this podcast is we take stuff that might be boring and make it fun. Exactly. And you're like, oh, hysterical. we're talking about chairs in an opera house. Yes, we are. But guess what? It's going to be banging. So let's go. Yeah. I mean, we made a man getting blown up while he took Nazi meth hysterical. So why can't we make opera house seats hysterical? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> and this is like, this is just like going to be like a gossip episode. Like it's all about socializing. Um, and you know, so I love gossip drama gals. when I'm not involved in it. Don't we all? Honestly. I wish you'd have told me to pop my popcorn because I would have done that before <laughs> we started. So, like I mentioned, this is a story over one, opera house seats, and two, the individuals that it is happening between happen to be old money, uh, Caroline Astor, who was like the queen of old money in New York. Like she sets the tone for society. And then Alva is on the other side. She's new money. Caroline Astor does not like the Vanderbilts at all. She has such a distaste for anybody who's new money. She only associates with old money of New York. 
And she is what is referred to as a knickerbocker, which what is- What would the, that be? It, uh, thanks for asking, Emily. I was going to tell you. <laughs> um, it's a quote unquote true native New Yorker. So her family essentially descended from the original Dutch settlers of New York, and they made their fortune in shipping in like the 1600s. So they've been there a long time. Gotcha. So like not to put you on the spot, and if mm-hmm. you don't know the answer to this, we can cut it out. <laughs> but do you know where the phrase knickerbocker came from? Or like like why that word is used to designate that group of people? Yes, it is actually the type of pants that the original Dutch settlers wore. So they wore, remember how I, we were talking about this one time and I mentioned like when we played softball, we rolled our pants up to our knees. Yeah. That's the pants style. Like they would have the long socks with the pants like stopping at the knee. So like what I think Ben Franklin wore. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, but I, I had to go on a whole research about um, what the Knickerbockers were because there are satirical journalists who like create fake names and some of them during this time frame they used the pseudonym like last name knickerbocker and it was kind of like a direct knock to these original dutch settlers these old families gotcha now i'm just double checking myself yes knickerbocker pants stop at the knees it's just making sure i was remembering that correctly um yeah because it's a very important like terminology you'll hear around the Gilded Age and New York families in particular. Cool. So the Astor family, they made their riches, like I mentioned, through trading, real estate, um, shipping, that kind of stuff. And Mrs. Astor was kind of the gatekeeper of society. She really enforced these strict social rules. Um, and like I already mentioned, um, She absolutely hated the Vanderbilts. Um, She thought they were not worthy. She thought them coming from railroad money was trashy, basically. Um, She didn't like that she used those railroads. Uh, Probably. Um, Why wouldn't you? It's like a great way to travel during this time. I feel like if you're going to shit on the people that made them, you shouldn't be able to use them. (laughs) Retweet. (laughs) Um, But yeah, she thought of it, even though she particularly didn't like Alva's husband because he inherited his wealth. He didn't like earn it, but also on the other side, this is very contradictory because she inherited her money. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. But she didn't care that they inherited their money because it wasn't quote unquote offensive railroad money. Or old money. Like the money hadn't been around for generations. It was one generation. Ugh, and hate rich people. I did some extra research because I think there's got to be a little bit more to this. Um, and I actually found this interesting article that talked about how the Astor family dabbled in railroad investment, but they were outsmarted by the original Vanderbilt who made the initial fortune, uh, Commodore Cornelius. Mm. And so they were outsmarted by the Vanderbilts when they were trying to get into the railroad business and it forced them to yield control of the original New York Central Railroad line that ran from Albany, New York to Buffalo, New York. So in my head, I bet there's probably a little bit of bad blood there. 
in oh, business. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're petty. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Like, just accept that you're not smart enough to to beat out, what was his name, old Cornelius or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what else are you going to do? There's no Wordle to play every day, you know, so you got to do something. <laughs> um, Could you imagine if they had Wordle back then? Ooh, <laughs> they'd be extra competitive. It would just come out once daily in the newspaper. Yeah, it'd be like um, like on those pamphlets in Bridgerton. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was I, that's exactly what I imagined in my head. <laughs> Lady Whistledown. <laughs> so this is just a quick overview too. I think it's just important to understand how this culture functions here in the top, you know. Okay quote unquote 400 of new york there's not actually 400 people on this list so that was a list created by a guy named ward McAllister, who he said there's only 400 important people in new york but he never like named out the full 400 he only named like 223 but this group is like known as the 400 like new york's top families i know it's weird there's a lot going on here um but society followed two seasons winter and summer so basically in July, all of the wealthy families would head off to the shores of Newport, Rhode Island, um, and they would stay there for eight weeks, must be nice, in their summer cottages. Um, I can't even afford a cottage, let alone a summer cottage. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny that they're called cottages because they were actually huge mansions. They were like oh, bigger than their city homes. Um disgusting and they were fully staffed with dedicated service staff so it's not a cottage it's a mansion on the sea um i'm gonna go i'm gonna go walk in front of a train on a railroad right now well mrs astor would not agree with railroads um so she's gonna spite you for that um well i mean i don't think it should matter to her (laughs) she's living in her summer cottage that's true yeah um she doesn't care about those poor city folk but beginning in November, in the, <laughs> the beginning of November would begin the winter season, which was the really the socializing season, like all the balls, the formal dinners, the holiday parties. This is when your children would debut in society. This is like the important period of time between November and July, where you're really like putting it all on display um, in New York. So not to this, interrupt you again. Go ahead. <laughs> so sorry. But isn't it crazy to think that, like, how much going out they were doing in the winter while we just literally want to stay in? Like, I don't want to go anywhere when it snows. And it snows a lot in New York. And they're going to balls. Yes, correct. They are doing that. And they're preparing for balls in the winter as well. Like, you know, feeding hundreds of guests, like those poor service individuals that had to, like, prep all that in, like, three feet of snow. (laughs) yeah and in the basements where i guarantee they were not putting a lot of heat yeah well the gilded age i watched the first episode and they really do a great job i mean it's by the same people who made downton abbey so of course there's going to be a good crossover of the servants quarters and the like upstairs house so i think we're going to get to see a lot of interesting dynamics take place in that show um but i'm excited for that yeah, it's really, it's going to be great. Um, we're not sponsored by HBO. I just, we just really like TV. Um, but 
we would not be opposed to being sponsored by HBO. <laughs> yeah. Use discount code uh, hysterical history. Hysterical. <laughs> See, I'm not clever. I was trying to think of a clever code and I was like, I can't. Usually people just use their names. That's true. That's why I was like, I'm yeah. not sure what you're trying to go for. <laughs> I don't either. I'm obviously not in charge of the like fun, clever stuff here. Uh, that's all Emily. But I mean. <laughs> moving on, this is why the seasons are seasons are important in this story is because the official start of the season in November is opening night of the Academy of Music. So now we're getting into the opera seats. Do, do, do. So this is kind of the sticking point of this story. At the Academy of Music, there is a whole 18 opera boxes, and they were reserved for the most distinguished families of New York. So Alva and the Vanderbilts are like, well, we want an opera box because that would kind of introduce them into the New York society that they're really pining for. Gotcha. But Mrs. Astor was like, mm, no, I don't like the Vanderbilts. They're not getting opera boxes. So they kept getting rejected year after year after year. So Alva's like, I'm done with this. She's like, I'm not going back to the Academy of Music. And Ooh. she was so tired of being ignored that she got together with all the other kind of scorned families in the eyes of society, like the unacceptables, according to Mrs. Astor. Mm -hmm. And they created their own opera house called the Metropolitan Sh Opera Company. Shut up. <laughs> I, I love this pettiness. So they created this company and they're like, oh, you know what this needs? It needs its own theater, one that's bigger and better than the Academy of Music where Mrs. Astor goes. So everything at this time is kind of shifting uptown. So they decided that the Met Opera Theater, that should be built uptown where everything's more fashionable and that's where it's moving. So that was like one way she was like, well, guess what? Our theater is going to be in the better part of town while you all are down there on 39th Street and Broadway. Wait, so she made the Met? Yes. Okay. So they okay, could have girl. their own opera box. So the, the New York Times commented that the Academy of Music's acoustics um, sorry, what? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> your notes. <laughs> I know. That doesn't make sense. Uh, moving on. <laughs> so the Met surpassed the Academy in luxury and the number of opera boxes. So remember I said the Academy Ooh. of Music had 18? Yeah. Guess how many the Met had? 30. 50 up 100 up more than 100 122 opera boxes holy cow so it was designed by architect j cleveland katie it had golden interiors by renowned designers carrere and hastings and the way that the boxes were built it showcased the people in the balcony. So you could see what they were wearing. You could see their jewelry, their lavish clothes. It really gave them a chance to show off, which is kind of what New York society is all about. And the and balconies, the Met Gala. 
Yes, 100%. So the balconies earned the nickname the Golden Horseshoe because of how beautiful it was and how it was so prominent in the theater. Wow. Um, I bet that was so beautiful, like when it was first built. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was. Um, So, of course, everybody was impressed. Everybody who went the opening night, all the press, they thought it was incredible. Um, And they declared the Metropolitan Opera House a triumph. And that's Alva Vanderbilt finally gets that acceptance by creating her own space to be accepted in which is really incredible. Um, And funnily enough, Mrs. Astor admitted defeat and she Mm. abandoned the Academy of Music for the Met. So did she get a box? That I would assume she would because I would have been petty the first time. I've been like, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody's trying to get in onto Mrs. Astor's good side because she is like the foundation of society. And when she left the Academy of Music, the rest of the old society followed her to the Met. So like if she gets the stamp of approval, everybody else is going to go. Which is sad because like, look at like, think about all the hard work that went into the Academy of Music mm-hmm. and then people just like left it because yeah. she said to. Exactly. I mean, they don't care. They've got the money. It's no different to them. Um, so it's kind of amazing how this, this situation where simple situation where the Vanderbilts just couldn't get a box in an opera, they built a whole new building. And now all of a sudden the new and the old money are mixing together and they're actually socializing together. So it's this really interesting integration that happens because of this whole dispute, which I had actually never heard of. Um, before like I didn't know this story Um, no and I didn't realize that this was how the Met came to be either no I didn't either Um, and we can go into Alba a different time she's just really incredible she was very instrumental in all the buildings of her homes all the nine homes that she had built for the Vanderbilts she played a hand and worked closely with the architects um, one of whom was Richard Hunt who helped design um Vanderbilt mm. or not Vanderbilt uh sorry the Biltmore the Biltmore which oh. is oh yes, okay even like cooler yeah um so she's just an incredible individual if you have time look up Alva Vanderbilt she's just like she's a queen um and then just kind of to end it here the Metropolitan Opera House the original eventually showed its age so and it couldn't accommodate modern production. So in 1966, actually, the old Met had its final performance. It was demolished. Um, and then the the new opera house, the new Met opera house, relocated to the new Lincoln Center even further uptown. So that b- beautiful building doesn't exist anymore. Um, but kind of its legacy is incredible enough. Um, I wish it was still there because I would love to see it. But yeah, um, you would have, like, why didn't we just turn it into, like, a museum? Oh, yeah, I know, 100%. Because I would literally go to that. Yes, I would, too. Um, just to see the gold, you know, ceiling with all the balconies, I'm sure it was outstanding, especially because it was built with Gilded Age money. Like, everybody's mm-hmm. trying to be the best, the biggest, the, like, shiniest, so. But, yeah, yeah. that's 
I thought that was just a cool story that I hadn't even like read about before, but wow. No, that was such a good story, but that hurts my heart that we demolished that building. Well, I mean, most of those Gilded Age homes and buildings are all destroyed, which is really sad because they were really beautiful works of architecture. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Ugh, we just destroy everything. Yeah, we do. What are we destroying well, in your story? We're actually not destroying anything. Um, That's new. I know. Because normally I'm the one that's like, let's talk about how everything's terrible. Um, but I have been watching. So speaking of HBO Max, um, I so we all know because we've talked about it a million times. I had COVID last week <laughs> and um, I decided I knew that there were new episodes of Doctor Who out, but it's been like four years or five years since I watched Doctor Who last that one, I couldn't remember what season I ended on. And two, like, <laughs> I couldn't even remember what had happened in the seasons I did watch. So I just decided to rewatch all of them. And if you're, have ever watched Dr. Who, um, <clears throat> basically the premise of the story or each episode is like, they go to either a historical situation that has already happened or this, this, um, the episode is dated in like, what's quote unquote, like the future. Um, and they have to like save people because of aliens or whatever. Well, the one episode I watched last week was about, um, like 16 or 15 or 16th century France. And it had to do with Madame de Pompadour, which was a, um, mistress of one of the Kings of France. Um, And so I just was thinking like Kings had mistresses, like almost all the Kings had mistresses. Um, but they weren't just sexual companions. So they often influenced politics and this wasn't a secret. Like people were knowing they had mistresses, the mistresses were flaunted all the time. And it was definitely not a secret that they influenced, um, their politics, but as I was watching that episode, I'm thinking to myself, like, why, why in societies, whether it's like 16th century or 21st, where we value the sanctity of quote unquote, like Christian relationships. I I just was thinking like, it's so odd that these types of relationships occurred. And so out in the open. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about royal mistresses Ooh. today. <laughs> I hope this is just 30 minutes of you naming the most badass royal mistresses. Well, so I want to make this a series sort of um, because there are so many mistresses, like literally so many mistresses. I mean, look at just King Henry VIII and how many wives he had. And those wives were mistresses before they were wives. So. <laughs> And that's just one man and one king in one country. So I, I would love to make this a series where like every so often we talk about another mistress. But today we're just talking about mistresses as a whole and like how they came to be slash like how others 
thought of them slash the influencing they they did so, so that's kind of, we're doing an overview today this is like the origin story yes what is it everybody's saying like 2022 is their villain era so we're gonna just talk about <laughs> we're gonna talk about mistresses and their villain era love it let's do it okay so extramarital affairs were easy and common for kings and this is mainly due um in part to arranged marriages so because they were arranged and they didn't have the ability be- to create that personal relationship and sort of like that friendship that we all think about as the base layer of you know um a loving mutually beneficial relationship mm-hmm. um that the king picked himself um they're more just for like political relationships that the parents uh had like kind of made those relationships and stuff even while they were still in the womb which is crazy to me like you conceive a baby and the first thought you had was okay who can we marry them off to in 14, 15, 16 years, because they were not waiting until their twenties, thirties, whatever. So it made it a lot easier because the Kings had more, um, they, they, they felt more in control, I guess you could say when they're picking out a mistress, their mistress could be more of someone that they feel more comfortable with because they're creating that baseline relationship. Um, and though adultery was very much looked down upon, I mean, (laughs) obviously, especially in that time, uh, when they were like killing people for adultery, um, Kings could actually still be deposed, which means like kicked out of their kingdom, I guess. Like they're not the King anymore, but get fired side note. They get to keep the title. Really? When I looked up what deposed meant, because context clues, you have a good idea of what that means. But I was like, I know Whitley's going to ask me (laughs) where I'm going to get here and I'm going to try to go more in depth and I'm going to sound like an idiot. So I look it up. Basically, it just means kicked out while still using the title. So they get to keep the title as of king of France, England, whatever, but they are not the king anymore. And it goes to like either next in line or a whole other sect of the family line. Okay. I was going to ask more follow-ups, but they're probably not that important. So we can move on. It, Are we, you sure? Yeah, we got it. We got the like gist of it. Like they're still technically king, but they don't have the powers associated with being king, just the title. Yeah. And they literally like they don't mean anything anymore. Right. Okay. Yep. Yes. Um, but this was only if they were acting too immorally for the citizens slash churches liking. So basically like if you're making too much of a stink for us, then we'll make this a big deal. That's like, that's literally what it was. Okay. Continue. No words. (laughs) But, but as I'm sure we can all assume most people tolerated the mistresses as long as it was one at a time. 
So as long as they only had one mistress, not more than one mistress, then it was, it was fine. So after one is when it gets immoral is what I'm hearing. Yeah. If you, if you're seeing your wife plus two, two or more people outside of your wife, no, your wife and one other person, chef's kiss. Only one sister wife at a time. Exactly. Cody would not be king. (laughs) Okay. So Queens though. Because history loves women. Queens could not have affairs. Oh. Ask me why. Emily, why is this? Well, the world would explode and aliens would take over. And I'm just kidding. (laughs) Actually, it was because um, this could cause questions um, of the legitimacy of their heirs. Mm, I was going to ask that actually. Mm-hmm. So, like, I get it, but I don't. Mm-hmm. But mainly I get it because kings could literally ignore their illegitimate children. Yes. But if a queen has um, extramarital relations, it's really hard for a woman <laughs> to know which person that came from. <laughs> There's no DNA test to figure out if you're 100% that bitch. So, yeah, not in not in the 16th century. No, there was not even they were blood bloodletting. Like they're letting leeches suck them. They didn't even have the concept. (laughs) They didn't even have a bathroom. They're throwing their shit in the street. So I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Um, most court members would know the mistress. Um, because they would typically for the most part, move them into the castle, like the mistress. If you watch rain on Netflix, 10 out of 10 would recommend. Um, but it, it gives you a good idea of the life of a mistress because one of the queen's friends become, or the queen of Ireland, Scotland, sorry, Scotland, Mary queen of Scots marries the prince of France who will become the king. His father is still the king. And she, one of her ladies in waiting become his dad's mistress. It's messy and you'd love it. Um, we actually only review TV shows now on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> now that I've referenced two different ones. Um, Netflix, literally just give us the money. We'll talk about you all the time. Um, but it, the reason I'm bringing it up is because that that part of the storyline gives you a good idea of how a mistress was treated within the court. Um, she got like her own room. She was living better than all the other like, you know, maids and ladies in waiting and everything. It gave her like being a mistress now would get you your ass beat in an alley by the person's wife. Then like you and the wife were best friends and it gave you elevated status. Crazy how far, like how we've come. Yes. I was going to say that that is not the case today. Public service announcement. Don't try this at home because definitely not because I would literally beat someone's ass for, for real. (laughs) So, um, but anyway, I digress. So, like I said, most court members would know the mistress um, and they would be jealous slash suspicious of her influence. Um, mainly because a lot of the other court members were men 
And as we can assume, um, men, especially at that time, didn't think women made good decisions. And so they were nervous of the decisions that the mistress was influencing on the king. Um, I just want to say, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. No, I'm just... The, the fact that people sometimes don't think women make good decisions, I will literally, it took me three months of creating a pros and cons spreadsheet to buy a new car. So you all can shut up because women think their decisions through. And that's all I have to say. I, I'm not saying that's all women. There are, of course, some fringe cases, but I'm just saying, continue. I mean, we had two world wars and were there any women involved is all I'm saying. So <laughs> you may have a point. And <laughs> just saying, okay, so, but, <clears throat> but because men do not put their money where their mouth is, they would not make a stink about their thoughts and opinions of the mistress. They would work really hard to win her favor so they could advance their own interests. Mm, like lobbying. Yes. When I, when I read that part, I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> this is set the scene for how our government works. <laughs> so some mistresses would help men gain political, political access to the king. Some would help men gain titles and some would secure official titles for some of their illegitimate children from the king. So there were two different ways they helped other people. And then there was one big way that they would help themselves because they don't have the security like the queen does. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she married the king and therefore has legitimate heirs and she's taken care of as long as she produces an heir. Mm -hmm. The mistress can have as many kids as she wants with the king. And as soon as he doesn't need her anymore or he dies, there's nothing left for her. She gets booted out and she now has to fend for herself. And we know how men, like not all men, I don't want to hear it in the comments. Most men think <laughs> like, oh, used goods and blah, 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 whatever, whatever. So a lot of them weren't always finding security after they left the court with when the king dumped them or they died or whatever so a good way for them to do that was to get weasel their way into getting official titles from the king for the kids they had mm, that makes a lot of sense which also is referenced in rain on netflix just so you know okay <laughs> so download now from the app store yes download that netflix app <laughs> Okay. So depending on what time and where the king was from, so what year and where, what country of origin, those outside of the court would also be aware of the mistresses as well. Let me tell you why. In 15th and 16th century France, to be specific, it was common for the king to present himself in public ceremonies and instead of bringing his wife, the queen, he would bring his mistress. Oh no. And everybody was fine. 
the reasons for this <laughs> fucking men the reasons for this were one the queen could be pregnant fair she might not be able to travel two whitley the mistress could be more attractive i mean or three it could be easier to suggest certain things by utilizing the mistress. So there were certain cases where the king would be invited and they would invite the mistress instead of the queen. Gotcha. But it's the second one for me. The mistress could be more attractive. Well, I was going to say that's the only one I understand because if you're like betrothed to somebody before you're even out of the womb, like, you don't know what could happen in the womb. Some weird stuff can happen. You could come out looking real funky. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, you could come oh out of there God. looking like Shrek and, you know, you're already betrothed. Listen, even Shrek found love, so I don't want to hear it from you. There's somebody for everybody. I agree with that, but not if you're already pre-married to that person. You're just going to have to find a mistress. We still have to make kids with that person. That's true. Make your little Shreks. Oh my God. <laughs> so kings at this time like to present themselves as allegories. So if you don't know what an allegory is, um, basically that is them just suggesting that they were in the same realm as saints or Greek or Roman gods. Like that's how they viewed themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds right. So for, for another example, Henry II would present his mistress, Diane de Poitiers, as the Roman goddess Diana. And he was a god beside her. Okay. The only Diana who was ever a goddess is Princess Di. Prove me wrong. Continue. I mean, call up Henry II, and I guess you have to fight fight him. I don't know to tell you. Bring it on. I'll bring my sword. <laughs> I don't have a sword. <laughs> I'll bring a baseball bat. Street How style. How about that? Okay. So, oh boy. Mistresses had to be careful um, because though they found themselves in the good graces of everyone due to their proximity of the king, Um, like I had suggested before they could fall really quickly. Uh, for example, um, we all know what happened with Marie Antoinette. Um, she had married Louis the 16th and that was when everything went down and they got guillotined and she was quoted as saying something she was not, she never said. And if you believe that she said it, pick up a book. Um, but a mistress could have saved Marie and her life because most people were more, um, apt to blame situations like that on mistresses rather than the Queens themselves. Um, and they were mostly the ones that would receive all attacks regarding immorality. So that would have been the one time it would have been good for someone to have a mistress. <laughs> Just, 
Um, and then overall, the mistress was allowed to live and flaunt in the sunshine because her power is completely dependent on the king. So this means she looks out for no one's interests more than the king's. She because she's helping. So basically, to dumb it, like to get it down to the basic description of how this relationship works. She helps her power by keeping her by keeping him powerful. Therefore, his power will shield her because he knows that she'll do everything to protect him. Hmm. And that's literally the life of a royal mistress and how they came to be and how their relationship worked. I can't wait for the like individualized tales that we're going to hear about these. Yeah. Some of them are crazy. Like, um, obviously I referenced, um, Diane, the prince, uh, the mistress of King Henry the second. But I also talked about at the very beginning when I gave you a whole big spiel about why I picked this, um, (laughs) of Madame de Pompadour. Um, and I'm really interested in doing her just because of the storyline that they used in Dr. Who. And then I was like looking her up because I was like, out of all the mistresses in history, why would Dr. Who pick like the BBC pick this one? Um, And she actually is quite interesting. So, and obviously we'll do Henry VIII because why would we not talk about Henry VIII? I mean, you have to. I mean, we have a history podcast, so how would we not do it? (laughs) At some point. Wait, yeah. is so it uh, won't be um it won't be consistently like the next million years I'm talking about mistresses, but we'll throw a mistress in here and there. Yeah, every once in a while we'll get a little sizzle of the mistress life. Ooh. Is Diane in rain? I just Googled her and like a picture from Rain popped up. Diane de Poitiers. You know, yes. Now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, yes. And that is Henry II. Yeah, I think Henry II is the king in that. Yeah, it's the Reign Wikipedia. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's crazy that people love things so much that there's like whole dedicated fandom websites. Yeah. Well, I haven't finished the whole the whole show um but i'm like i think i'm on season four um and it's it's one of those shows kind of like i'm doing with doctor who where i have to be careful about when i watch them because it sucks me in and that's all i want to do is just watch them because i have to know what happens next so i had to take a break from rain because (laughs) it was getting kind of scary how much i was watching it which i'll probably end up having to do with doctor who soon (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i would 10 out of 10 recommend both all right well now that we've advertised for both hbo max and netflix i think we can call it nothing out of it yeah i know (laughs) we should stop doing that but we should also i just want people to watch these wonderful tv shows yeah because regardless of if we're getting paid for them or not like they're good yeah and then you know You've got something to talk to your friends about, so. Yeah. I mean, and and we can always make, like, if you want to pay us for our recommendations, we could always make a PayPal. Just let us know. 
Yeah, I mean, solid, definitely our 12 listeners will. Yes, 25. Actually, they probably already have Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) We'll give you 25 cents for your recommendation. Thank you. Have a nice day. (laughs)